I'm glad you're joining us again as we are walking through a series on anxiety, pulling some verses out of Paul's book in Philippians. You know, if there's one thing we all understand is that storms come into our lives. It was a hot summer day back in July of 1977, and my dad and his two brothers who owned a dairy farm were baling hay and putting it up into the hayloft of the barn. There was a storm that was approaching from the west, and soon the sky turned that soupy kind of pea green color, and a tornado had formed. They rushed and closed the barn doors, and they took cover under the loaded hay wagons. The storm was upon them, and soon the barn doors went horizontal to the ground, and eventually they flew off. The aluminum roof of the barn rolled up like tin foil, and it was gone. The storm had passed, and they crawled out from under the wagons. They were emotionally shaken, but not physically injured. You know, we've all sought protection from the storms of life, not just the physical storms, but the emotional storms and relational storms that we all face. And we certainly find ourselves in a place in life right now that can be very much described as a storm. You know, our storms in life generally consist of the four big Ds, difficulties, divorce, disease, and death. And the storm that we find ourselves in now is certainly difficult, and it also involves disease and death. And we understand that all those are coming together now in kind of this perfect storm. And so the Apostle Paul knows where we can find the shelter from these storms. If anyone had a reason to be anxious, it was him. Listen to some of these things about Paul's life as he wrote the book of Philippians. He's an old man looking out of the window of a Roman prison. He's about 60 years old, and about 30 of those years he has been a Christian. He's traveled all over the Mediterranean, suffered from all the miles he traveled and all the beatings he's endured. We find in the New Testament that he's received 39 lashes on five different occasions. He's been beaten with rods three times. Once he was left for dead, he was imprisoned. He was deserted by friends and co-workers. He endured shipwrecks, storms, and starvation. He was probably half blind and was squinting to read as he wrote Philippians. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 15, he said, Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that. If you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So it seems like there was something wrong with his eyes. He's awaiting trial before the Roman emperor, who has become popular with the Romans by killing Christians. And Paul is the best-known Christian. He also bears the weight of newborn churches. Members are bickering. False preachers are preaching out of pride and envy. Yet this isn't the tone when you read the book of Philippians. There's no words of fear or complaint. Instead, he lifts his thanks to God and he calls on us to do the same. And so he, uh, in, in Philippians, is giving us a prescription how to be calm in the storms of life. Last week, he looked at the acronym CALM. And today and over the next couple of weeks, we're simply going to focus on the C part of this, of celebrating God's goodness. Paul reminds us, in Philippians 4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And so Paul's prescription for anxiety begins with a call to rejoice. He uses it in the present imperative tense so his readers would hear him say, continuously, habitually rejoice. He also removed the expiration date. He says always. And then he repeated it again in verse 5. He says, again, rejoice. So how do we do that? It's impossible to always be in a state of uninterrupted rejoicing. But really, this isn't Paul's challenge. Paul's challenge is that we are to rejoice in the Lord. It's not a call to a feeling, but it's a decision rooted in the fact that God exists, 
that he's in control, and that he is good. You know, we don't live life based on the facts, but on our interpretation of the facts. We are meaning makers. And how we make sense of life affects our emotions. What we do and how we feel is based on the interpretation of the facts. That's why two people can look at the same situation very differently. They interpret the facts differently. And so in our lives, we want to create meaning of things. And certainly in this pandemic, we want to create meaning out of information we're receiving, out of uh, the things we see on social media. We are constantly creating meaning. And oftentimes, we are interpreting the facts, and that's where our emotions come from. It's interesting, you can get up in the morning and feel one way, and you see something on the news, and you feel completely different. Why? It's because you are interpreting the facts that you're hearing, how they affect you, how they affect your family. One of the things we know is that we find stability in the storms of life with a steady belief system. This sturdy belief system is the fundamental way that we find some uh, stability in our life. And one of the belief systems that we have has to answer these questions. Is anyone in control? Does life has, have a purpose? Do I have value? Is this life all that there is? And if your belief system is strong, you will stand. But if it's weak, you won't. Belief always precedes behavior. To change the way a person responds to life, change what a person believes about life. And so the most important thing about you is your belief system. What do you believe in times like this? What do you really believe about God in moments like this? What do you believe about the world, about humanity in times like this? Your belief system is the most important thing about you in this time. One of the bedrocks of Paul's belief was the sovereignty of God. We're going to build on that belief system as we walk through his, the word today. But sovereignty is the term the Bible uses to describe God's control and management of the universe. He is continually involved with his creation. He's fulfilling his divine purpose. He is fulfilling his plans. And so God's sovereignty means he is in control. Even when it looks like things are out of control, he is still in control. So a proper understanding of sovereignty is a way to address our anxiety. Anxiety is often the consequence of perceived chaos. If we sense that we are victims of an unseen, turbulent, random force, we are troubled. And isn't that why we are anxious in these moments? Because we feel like we can't put our finger on it. We can't get a grasp of what's going on. There are these random forces. The force now is a virus that seems out of control and we don't know where it is or who's going to get it. And so we are troubled. If you are in the place where things seem calm, you don't have much anxiety. But if you're in a place where things are out of control, our anxiety creases. Psychologists have verified the fact when they study the impact of combat soldiers in World War II. They determined that after 60 days of continuous combat, the ground troops became emotionally dead. This reaction is understandable. Soldiers endured a constant threat of bomb blitzes, machine guns, and enemy snipers. The anxiety of ground troops was no surprise. However, the comparative calm of fighter pilots was different. Their mortality rate was among the highest in combat. 50% of them were killed in action, yet dogfighters loved their work. 
and astounding 93% of them claimed to be happy in their assignments, even though the odds of survival were the same as the toss of a coin. Well, what made the difference? Those pilots had their hands on the throttle. They sat in the cockpit. They felt their fate was theirs to determine. The infantrymen, the men on the ground by contrast, could just as easily be killed by standing still or running away. They felt helpless. And so the formula is simple. Perceived control creates calm. Lack of control gives to fear. You don't need a war to prove this formula. That's where we are now. We feel that we are not in control, and so it creates fear. It's not only this pandemic, it's also road congestion. A team of German scientists found that a traffic jam increases your chances of heart attack threefold. It makes sense. Gridlock is the ultimate loss of control. We may know how to drive, but the fellow in the next lane does it. We can be the best drivers in history, but the texting teenager might be the end of us. There is no predictability, just stress. And here's one thing we know about life. Anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. So what do we do? Control everything? Never board a plane without a parachute? Never leave the house without a mask or hand sanitizer? Never open up your heart for fear that it may get broken? Facing anxiety by taking control does not work. Certainty is cruel. It never delivers on the goods. And in this moment, we want a level of certainty that is not able to be attained. We could have accumulated wealth and have lost it in the last four weeks. Do you know a health fanatic can eat only fruit and nuts and still battle cancer? We want certainty, but the only certainty is that we can't have certainty. Think about the conversations and some of the anxiety that we feel around this pandemic. We want certainty. When's it going to end? Am I going to get sick? Are my loved ones going to get sick? And none of those questions are answerable. We don't know. The most stressed out people in life are control freaks. The more they try to control the world, the more they realize they can't. And so it's a cycle of anxiety and failure and anxiety and failure, anxiety and failure. We can't take control because control is not ours to take. And this pandemic brings to the surface more than ever how much we as humans like to be in control. We want the experts to tell us exactly what's going to happen. We want them to be predictors of the future. And so we rely on models and predictions because it gives us some sense of control. And then we realize that we're really not in control. So what's the antidote? Well, the antidote is exactly what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, that we are to rejoice in the Lord always and so we rejoice in God's sovereignty is one of the ways that we can rejoice in him. There's a couple of ways that we can do this. The Bible urges us that instead of seeking control, we can relinquish it. We can't run the world, but we can trust God. This is Paul's admonition to rejoice in the Lord. Peace is within reach, not because of a lack of problems, but because of the presence of a God who is in control. You know, Psalm 23 is a very encouraging psalm. And in the middle of that psalm, it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. I will not fear because God is with me. In spite of my problems, even though I have problems, even though the world is spinning out of control, I know that God is with me. And so rather than thinking about the chaos of the world, 
we can rejoice in the control of the Lord. This is what Paul did in Philippians chapter 1. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And so Paul was in prison, and he said, instead of thinking about all the ways his life was in chaos, he said, I know this is actually bringing about something good. As a result, it's become clear that I'm in these chains for Christ. And Paul believed in the steady hand of God. So to help with our anxiety, we can have some stability of our souls and the sovereignty of God. Let's just look at a couple verses that remind us of that. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is sustaining all things by, the power, his, by his powerful word. Do you know at this moment, Jesus is sustaining all things? That if he would take his hands off, all things would just fly apart? And so yes, we live in a chaotic world. It's a result of the curse in Genesis 3 that this world is ultimately trying to kill us because death is the wages of our sin. But Jesus is still in control, sustaining all things. How about this verse from Lamentations chapter 3? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is, is it not from the mouth of the Lord Most High that both calamities and good things come? Lamentations reminds us that it doesn't happen unless the Lord has allowed it to happen. Now, calamities come and good things come, and so God is still in charge, and it's this tension between God's permissive will and his directive will. He allows things to happen, but he doesn't cause all things. And so we can trust in God's sovereignty that even in calamities and in good things, God is still in control. Max Licato reminds us that God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's about the 8th century BC, and Judah had enjoyed a time of relative peace under the leadership of Uzziah the king. He kept this fragile society safe from attack for about 52 years, and then he died. And so the prophet Isaiah, who lived during this time, had a reason to worry. What would happen to the people now that Uzziah was gone? What happens if our job is gone? What happens if our health is diminished? What happens if the economy doesn't recover? What is God's message to us? Well, God's message to us is the same as it was to Uzziah. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of God's glory. Did you see what God did? What God did was, he said to Isaiah, you know, the earthly throne of Uzziah is empty. And there seems to be reason to panic and reason to have some fear, some reason to have anxiety. But Isaiah, I want you to see that even though the throne of Uzziah was empty, God's was occupied. That's what God's telling us today. God calmed the fears of Isaiah, not by removing the problem, but by revealing his divine power and presence. And that's what God wants us to know and understand today. 
that even though it looks like this world is chaotic, even though it looks like there is no one in charge, no one in control, everything is spitting out of control, God's message to us is the same as it was to Isaiah. I'm still on the throne. I've not left the throne. Even though it looks like this earthly throne is empty and nobody's in charge, I want you to be reassured and I want you to find some strength and some confidence that I'm still on my throne. God calms our fears the same way that he calmed Isaiah's fears, not by removing the problem, but by revealing his divine power and presence in our lives. Suppose that your dad is the world's foremost orthopedic surgeon. People travel from distant countries for him to treat them. You're 13 years old and you are a bit young to comprehend the accomplishments of a renowned surgeon, but you're not too young to stumble down the stairs and twist your ankle. Into your room walks your dad, still wearing his surgical scrubs. He removes your shoe, peels back your sock, and examines the injury, and you groan at the sight of a tennis ball-sized lump. Anxiety kicks in. Your adolescent anxiety kicks in. You say, Dad, I will never walk again. I'll never get to go to the dance. I'll never get to play soccer. Yes, you will. No one can help me. Son, it's just a sprained ankle. You still don't believe him, and you think your teenage years are over. So the next day, he takes you to work. You see his degrees on the wall in the office, the medical journals and articles that he's written. You're admiring his degrees when the phone rings and he announces, we're off to surgery. So you scrub up and you follow him limping into the operating room on your crutches. And during the next few hours, you have a ringside seat for the procedure in which he reconstructs someone's broken ankle. He is the commander in the operating room. He never hesitates or seeks advice. He just does it. And one of the nurses whispers to you, your dad is the best. As the two of you ride home that evening, you look at your father and you see him in a different light. If he can conduct orthopedic surgery, he can treat a swollen ankle. So you ask, you think I'll be okay for the dance? And he replies, yes, you'll be fine. You see, this time you believe him. Your anxiety decreases as your understanding of your father increases. Here's what happens in life. Our biggest fears are ankle sprains to God. Our biggest problems are small when it comes to the God who is still on the throne. And a lot of times we live with unnecessary anxiety over temporary limps. And we forget to rejoice in God's sovereignty that he is in control. And this place that I am in in life is not beyond his care or not beyond his control. And so, yes, I can rejoice in the sovereignty of God by relinquishing control to him. Instead of trying to fix everything, I trust. And I go from trying to fix to having faith. And I trust that God is still sovereign and that he is still in control. But I do need to fix something. I need to fix my mind. I need to fix my thought. I need to fix it on him. And so the second way that I can rejoice in God's sovereignty, the second way that I can do this is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. What do I think about? What do I look at? You see, I can look at my problems or I can look at the Lord. Psalm 27 verse 4 says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. 
I gaze on the beauty of the Lord to recalibrate my thinking. I remember who he is and who I am as his child. I wake up every morning and I spend time gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Remember, what I think about forms my identity and fuels my emotions. We are meaning makers. And I interpret the facts to create meaning in my life. And one of the ways that I can look at life in a right way is by gazing on the beauty of the Lord. The next time we are fearful, I can rejoice in God's sovereignty I can rejoice in what he has accomplished. I can rejoice in what he is able to do. And I can fill my mind with thoughts of God. We see the problems and instead of wringing our hands and worrying, what I can do is I can bend my knees to the Lord of the universe. Anxiety decreases as trust increases. I have only so much emotional room in my emotional gas tank. And so I'm either going to fill it with anxiety, I'm going to fill it with fear, or I'm going to fill it with trust. And I can trust because I rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 17. He says this, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots in the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Did you catch that? Jeremiah reminds us that we are blessed when we trust in the Lord and we have confidence in him. How do we do that? Because I can rejoice in God's sovereignty. I can't rejoice in what's going on. Yes, there are great stories about people who are serving and volunteering, and those are so encouraging, and those are so, uh, those bright spots in our day. But when my confidence is in the Lord, I am like that tree that even though there's a drought, even though the heat comes, aren't we in a time of drought right now, this time of heat? But Jeremiah says, when I trust the Lord, when I have confidence in him, when I rejoice in his sovereignty, even though this heat comes, even though there's this pressure that I don't have to worry because my leaves are always green, because I'm plugged into the trust and the confidence of the Lord. You see, we talk about the gospel a lot, and sometimes we think about the gospel that my sins have been forgiven in the past, and then I have this hope of resurrection and restoration in the future, but we also need the, the now of the gospel, the right here and the now. So how does this situation look different through the person and the work of Jesus Christ? And who am I and what have I been given as his child? I look at this situation not through my human eyes, not through the eyes of those around me, but I look at this situation through the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what I've been given as his child. And so when I gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, when I worship him, I delight in the Lord, what that can do is it can, it can start to break down the walls of anxiety in my heart and it can lower my anxiety as my trust increases. It begins with this created world. This world we live in is beautiful. And even this time of year, the blossoms are coming out on the trees and the flowers are starting to bloom. The skies are clear. And we go out and we see that there's this handiwork of the Lord. And sometimes the best way we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is to look at his creation. 
Remember Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 said this, The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you know you cannot get up without bumping into the Lord? Even when you look into the mirror in the morning and you're getting ready and you look at who you are, the Bible tells us that we are wonderful creations, that we are complex, that we were knit together in our mother's womb. And so there's this beauty about who we are and about this createdness of us. When I look at a painting or I take a steak off the grill or at the sunset or the azaleas that are now in bloom, all of these things can point us to God. And those are ways that I can gaze upon his beauty. I need to fill my mind and fill, fix my gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Don't we need that now more than ever? All these things are signs that point us to God. Now, these things are not the end, but the means. We don't, we don't worship the creation, but those things in creation are to point us to the creator. Imagine you're taking a trip with the family to Disney World. You've saved up for years and you've made plans you're 150 miles outside of Disney World and you see a billboard advertising the park and you excitedly announce to the family that we're here. You pull over to the billboard, you start unpacking the car and making a little camp around the car and everybody in the car thinks that you're crazy because you're camping out at the sign but you're not enjoying the park. This is what happens when we worship the beauty of creation and don't allow it to point us to God. And the way that I minimize my anxiety is that I relinquish control, I rejoice in God's sovereignty, and I gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. One of the best things we can do at this time is turn off the news. And if you don't want to go out, is to look out your window. Look at the sunset. Look at the sunrise. Look at the beauty that God has given us. And all those things are to point us to Him. And when I gaze at the beauty of the Lord, it lifts my gaze and I fix my gaze on him. The other morning I was watching the news and they had all the coronavirus items that were on TV of everything that's going on. And as I was sitting there, I heard the birds singing in the trees. Isn't it interesting? As spring comes, you know, in the winter, we don't hear the birds, but in the springtime, you start to hear the birds. And sometimes they start really early in the morning. And so I heard these birds out in the trees singing, and I'm watching the, uh, all the coronavirus news, and, and I heard those birds, and it was really irritating. I thought, what do you have to sing about? Don't you know that there's a pandemic going on? And then it hit me. No, they don't realize that there's a pandemic going on. And I thought of Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says this, look at the birds of the air. They did not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and said, you are more valuable than those birds. Why are you fretting? Why are you worrying? I take care of the birds, and they can sing because they don't have a care because I'm feeding them. And I am more valuable than those birds. And you know what? So are you. Our anxiety is swallowed up in God's sovereignty. Our anxiety can be swallowed up in the fact that we know that, that God is in control. That I fix my gaze on his beauty. And I look to him and I relinquish control and I, and I trust him. And isn't that what he's calling us to do? 
Isn't he simply calling us just to walk this life of faith and life of trust? You see, the options are that I can try to control life. You may know some control freaks. Maybe you are a control freak yourself. And we know it doesn't really work out. We really can't control a whole lot. We can barely control ourselves, let alone the situations in life. But one thing I know is this, is that my Savior is sovereign. Jesus, who sustains this universe, is sovereign. There is never a situation that I am in, there's never a situation that you are in that is is not under the lordship of Jesus. There's never a moment in life where Jesus says, I don't know what's happening over there. It hit me, it blindsided me. I had no idea this was coming. And now I don't know what to do about it. It's out of my control. Jesus never says that. This world is in his control. What's that song we sing? He's got the whole world in his hands. He truly does. And so we are never in a situation that is not under the lordship of Jesus. A God who is in control of the universe is a God who can bring his plans and his promises to pass, even in a pandemic. When I trust in him, I don't have to fear even when the tornado of life troubles comes rumbling through my life. Are you trusting God? Are you relinquishing control? Are you gazing on the beauty of the Lord? You see, as your trust increases, your anxiety will decrease. As you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, the focus that we have on everything that's happening in life will decrease. And it's in those moments that we find ourselves with this peace that Paul says passes all understanding. Would you trust God and his sovereignty, that he is in control? If you are a control freak, you know it's very difficult to ride with someone in the car, in the passenger seat. They're driving, and as they're going in and out of traffic, what are you doing? You are pushing the imaginary brake on your side of the car. And sometimes it's pretty obvious. Why? Because we want to be in control. We want to know that we can do something about it. But there is a place in life, and this is one of those great moments of life when we simply have to trust. We don't have to trust when I'm driving. I do have to trust when I'm in the passenger seat. And this is one of those moments in life when we're all in the passenger seat. Remember that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? I saw a better one. It said, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. God never will settle to be co-pilot. He is the pilot. We are in the passenger seat, and we simply need to trust. And in this difficult moment, in this uncertain times, in this time that can bring a lot of fear and anxiety, this is when we need to trust him the most because I don't have to trust him when things are going well. I don't have to trust him when I feel that I'm in control. And so in this moment, when it feels like everything's out of control, I can trust him because he is good and he is sovereign. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sovereignty, for your watch care over us. We are more valuable than the birds that are singing. And so, Father, help us to rejoice in your sovereignty. As we trust you, our anxiety will decrease. And so, Father, this is, a, this is a daily thing. Every day that we get up, that we would gaze upon your beauty. We would trust you. We would relinquish control of this world and this life to you and to trust. Oh, Father, it is so hard. We so much want to be in control. We so much want to feel like we can call the shots. 
So Father, would we be a people who walk by faith and walk by trust? And trust and rejoicing in your sovereignty will help reduce our anxiety. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your care of us. In Jesus' name we pray.